Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. All right, well, hey, today I'm excited because we are in a series. We're in week two of a series called From Here to There, and we're looking at the life of Abram, also known as Abraham, or if you grew up in church like me, his name was Father Abraham. He had his own theme song. He had his own motions. You could dance, and I loved it because it was the only time you could dance in church unless the Spirit was moving. Um, It was great. Uh, But Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, or so are you. So let's just what? Praise the Lord. Some of you knew it. But uh, we're talking about Abraham. And Abraham, he was a guy who went on a journey from here to there. And, And there's some things that he had in his life that as we journey from here to there, that we need also. And so we're looking at three big things. We're looking at faith, trust, and sacrifice. Um, last week, Pastor Keith, man, he kicked it off with faith, and boy, did he kick it off. I hate that I have to follow after him this week, but he did a great job. You guys put your hands together for him. It was awesome. And here's some things that we learned last week. Um, if you did not, if you weren't here and you didn't listen to the podcast yet, listen to it. I'll listen to it again. But we learned that with faith, God, he gives promises, not guarantees, because guarantees weaken faith, promises strengthen faith. We learn that with faith, we have everything we need to take our next step for God. We learn that when it comes to faith, sometimes faith is going to take sacrifice. And we learn that when the enemy tries to attack our faith, that worship is the vehicle that drives the enemy away. It was an amazing service. And ultimately, we learned that faith is one of the things that takes us from here to there. And today, we're going to learn how trust is the thing that takes us from here to there. So if you're taking notes, I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis um, chapter 16. This is right after chapter 15, in case you wondered. Um, Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 12, and that is where God actually gives Abram the promise. And this is what he says to Abram. He goes, I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to make you a father of many people. But at this time, Abram didn't have a land, and he did not have kids. Chapter 16, guess what? It's 10 years later. Abram is in the land, but he still ain't got kids. The only thing he's got is older And so he's like, okay, what is going to happen? This is what it says in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. Some of you are wondering, oh, my God, am I watching HBO right now? Are we at church? I mean, is this Game of Thrones? Read the Old Testament. It's crazier than Game of Thrones. I'm just saying. So Sarai... Abram's wife took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, and now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. And Abram was like, no, this is your fault. I got a recording to prove it. I know what you said like 10 years ago. Anyway, back to my story. That was my version, not the Bible. Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Make sure to tune in tomorrow for the rest of days of our lives. If you're taking notes, the title of this sermon is Even When, Even When. God, let's pray right now. God, I thank you so much for every person in this room. God, I thank you that um, every person is here, God. You ordained for them to be here, God. And we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. 
God, we know that it's because of him that we can do everything that we do, God. And everything is impossible without him. And so, God, we ask that today that ultimately we would honor him in everything that we do. And God, I ask right now that you would be here with us. You would be here with us in these moments. And God, I ask that as your church right now, we just come before you, God, and we ask that you would be with the families that were affected by the mass shooting yesterday in El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio. God, we ask that you would be with them, God. We ask that they would have peace. And God, I ask that they could actually feel the prayers of the church of Jesus Christ surrounding them in these moments. God, we ask that you would be with them right now, God. And I ask that today that you would let every word that I speak God, that you would tailor make it for every person in this room. Speak, God, where you're listening in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You guys put your hands together for Larry. He did a great job. I was, I was like, man, we're about to keep going. But, um, okay, how many people would be brave and bold this morning? And raise your hand and say that you can be a little bit impatient. Any, anybody? Okay. All right. Thank you. All right, let's try that again because some of you are lying in church. And if you lie in church, a trap door opens up, you're straight to hell. So I need an altar call right now. I'm just kidding. That's what my dad said to scare me when I was a kid. How many people say you can be impatient? Come on, wave at me. All right, thank you. That should be almost everyone. Um, if you were to ask me, I would tell you that I can be a little bit impatient. If you were to ask my wife, she would tell you that I can be a lot of bit impatient. Um, a lot of times in life, I, I, I like things a certain way in a certain time. And if I don't get those things in a certain way and in a certain time, I, I, I throw what I call an adult tantrum, okay? I'm going to explain what that is uh, for you guys. It's where I'm kind of like this on the outside. I'm like, Ugh. But on the inside, I'm like my five-year-old kid. I'm like, ah, I just want what I want when I want it. I, thank you, Jace. Some of y'all are lying if you don't admit that you throw adult tantrums. I'm just saying. I almost threw one this morning. I had a sign follow me during setup. And on the outside, I was like, oh, my gosh, you signed. But on the inside, I wanted to drop kick that thing. Um, anyway, after throwing my adult tantrum, sometimes I can be uh, dramatic. Usually what I do is I go into fix-it mode. I'm like, man, how can I fix this thing? I mean, if I'm not getting what I want when I want, how can I get what I want? And here's what happens most of the time. I get myself in trouble. I can remember one of those times um, specifically. Um, I was watching the Worldwide Developers Conference by Apple. Any Apple users in the house today? Come on. Thank you. iPhone, the best phone. Don't at me if you have an Android. But... Uh, I was watching this Worldwide Developers Conference. If you don't know what that is, it's where Apple actually reveals all the new products and all the new software and upgrades and things they have coming out for the next year. They reveal all of these things. And they're like, hey, we've got this new iPhone. Your phone only has four megapixel camera. This one has 4,000. Your phone has an LED screen. This one has an OLED screen. Your phone is actually really small because this new phone is one thirty-second of an inch bigger. You've got to get it. So they reveal all these new things. But see, there's a problem. Um, the release date is not until like six months or up to a year away. So you're, you're kind of waiting. And I remember one year when they were revealing all this new stuff, they revealed a new operating system. And this is back when you actually had to pay for the operating system upgrades um, with Apple, and it was, like, going to be $99. And so I remember I was like, okay, oh, it's going to be six months until they release this. I wonder if I can find it. So I got a little bit impatient, and I found a pre-pre, like, pre-pre, pre-released, hacked, cracked version. And I was like, ha-ha, Apple, I'm getting it for free. I downloaded it on my computer. I installed it. And as soon as I hit, like, the run button, this is what my computer did. It went, boop. Like, literally, that was the noise it made. Boop. And it, like, stopped. Black screen. Nothing was working. I unplugged it, plugged it back in because it was an iMac. 
Nothing would work at all. It would not come on. I took it to the Apple store, and I had to get it fixed. I said, hey, can you fix this? You know how much it cost me? $250, all because I got impatient, and I couldn't wait from the reveal to the release. It cost me more than the $99 I would have spent in the first place. Here's the thing. So many times in our walk with Christ, we find ourselves between reveal and release. We find ourselves between here and there. And here's the thing. If we get impatient and we are not careful, we will try to settle for the replica instead of settling for what God and going after what God really wants to give us. I mean, so many times we'll believe for a new job and we have a good resume, but we don't have the interview yet. We don't have a new job. So we're like, okay, what if I, what if I do this? I mean, maybe we're believing to get a scholarship and it's like school starts back like next week and we still don't have any offers. Sometimes we're stuck between reveal and release. We're like, man, God, I'm believing to actually have peace, but we're still dealing with anxiety. This is where Sarai and Abram find themselves in Genesis 16. They're in between reveal and release. So when God reveals this dream to them, um, Abraham is 75, Sarai is 65. It has been 10 years since then. And God goes, hey, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to give you children. And guess what? Now they are in the land, uh, but they don't have the children yet. They're like, God, I mean, you did half. Maybe we should do the rest because they're stuck between reveal and release. And I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes when I get half of what I want like they had, I actually get more annoyed than when I get the whole entire thing. For example, when I go to Chick-fil-A and I get in the drive-thru and I order a number two spicy chicken deluxe with pepper jack cheese and extra pickles, waffle fries, and an auto palmer. By the way, that is my order if anybody wants to surprise me. When I order that and then I get home and then I bite into that number two spicy chicken deluxe with extra pickles, and not only does it not have extra pickles, it does not have pickles at all. Now I'm mad because I got half of what I wanted. I drive three miles there and back to Chick-fil-A in traffic in Orlando at five o'clock. That is crazy. But, but so many times, like, we'll do this. This is where Sarai and Abram are at. They have half of what they want. So they go, God, okay, you gave us half. Maybe we should get the rest. And so here's what they do. They get, they get ambitious. And here's the thing. A lot of times when it comes to trusting God and having faith in God, we have these moments where we're like, God, what is your part and what is ours? And so they get ambitious and they go, okay, maybe we need to do the rest. And listen, ambition is a good thing. I believe that when God gives you something to steward, when he gives you something to manage and you have ambition for it, I believe that God smiles upon that. But here's the thing, the ambition can never precede God's permission because ambition without permission will cause unnecessary friction in your life. I'm going to say that again because some of you didn't get it. Ambition without God's permission will cause unnecessary friction in your life. And this is where Abram and Sarai find themselves. They got, they got ambitious, but they didn't have God's permission and that caused unnecessary friction for them. And here's why. They had faith in the promise, but they had lost trust. I know sometimes we can use these words interchangeably, faith and trust, but I want to create a little bit of delineation in these words today. If you're taking notes, listen, this is the biblical definition of trust. It says to be confident, secure, and dependent. To be confident, secure, and dependent. Uh, to put it short, faith is belief. Trust is dependency. Write that down. Faith is belief. Trust is dependency. See, we can have faith in God, but then not trust his plans. We can have faith that God will save us, but then not have trust that he will sustain us. I think a lot of times our problem isn't necessarily our faith. I think sometimes the problem that we run, to, run into is trusting God in the process. And so if we're going to journey from here to there, listen, we're going to need to trust God. So I want to give you three areas that we can trust God in this morning. The first one is this, is trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. Um, I think sometimes when we read Bible stories 
um, we can be a little bit pretentious. At least I can be a little bit pretentious because I'm reading the story about Abraham and I see where God literally shows up to Abraham. And he's like, Abraham, I'm going to give you all of this. I just need you to have faith and I, I need you to trust me. And I read this and I go, Abraham, you couldn't have waited more than 10 years. Let's be honest. Some of us, we ask God for something and we can't wait more than 10 minutes. So let's set our pretension aside and let's actually read this for what it is. So Sarai and Abram, they're in this moment. I want us to actually put ourselves in Sarai's shoes just for a second. So it's been 10 years since the promise. Okay, she was 65 when it happened. Now she's 75. Back in her day, women could no longer bear children after the age of 70. That was like the highest it would go, the age of 70. And so also, too, if she did not bear a child for Abram, then she was considered cursed. And so she goes, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm the one that has the issue. Maybe God has, maybe God has kept me from, from having kids. Maybe I'm the one that has the issue because the issue isn't Abraham. Abraham's 85, and back then his swimmers would have worked till he was 90. I'm just saying. I'm being honest. So I'm not the problem. Abraham's not the problem. Maybe I'm the problem. So then what she did is she removed herself from the equation. She removed herself from the promise. Maybe God's too late for me. And here's what she did. She put an expiration date on the promise of God for her life. How many times do we do that in our own life? How, how many times do we believe, man, God is going to do something good? How many times do we believe that God has something good for me? How many times do we believe that, man, God is going to do something great in my life and then it takes a little bit too long and then all of a sudden we're like, God, where are you at? God, did you forget about me? Am, am I the only one here, God? Like, where, where are you? God, I, I just think it's too late for me. And I remember growing up in church, I've said before, I grew up real charismatic, Pentecostal. And we would go to church, and I would hear these pastors all the time. They would say, and I'm about to get my country on, if y'all don't mind, because I'm from the South. They would go like, my God's an on-time God. My God ain't never late. And they would be doing like this. They'd have the organ playing behind them, and everybody would be shouting them down. We even had songs about it. We'd be like, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. We had songs like that, and everybody's singing it. Oh, y'all want to help me out? Come on. He's an on-time God. Oh, y'all can remember, he's an all-time guy. Oh, good job, good job. But here's the thing, we'd have songs about it, and here's what I remember doing. I remember sitting in my seat sometimes, because my parents got divorced when I was nine, and it, it made a lot of turmoil in my life after that. And I remember sitting in my seat going, man, God, man, you might be on time for Jimmy, because Jimmy's parents are still together, and his life looks good. Man, you might be on time for this person, their life looks amazing. You might be on time for the preacher that's saying it. You might be on time for the worship leader that is singing, but God, it just seems like you were too late for me. I, I would feel like this. So many times, but here's one of the things that I've kind of learned about timing when it comes to God's timing as I've grown is there's always this tension in God's timing because God is an on-time God. But here's the thing. God is never too late, but he's also never too early. God is never too late, but he's also never too early because God sees things and he knows things that we don't see. And he knows things that we don't know. He can see all of that. And so here's what God does in those moments is God is forming things on the inside of us in the waiting. God, he is speaking to us in the waiting. God is doing something on the inside of us in the waiting. And one of the things that I have learned about God is he will always be more focused on what he is doing in you than what he can get to you. And so in those moments, we have to remember that God knows best. We have to know that God knows that the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. I'm going to say that again. The right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. See, God knows what may be good for then may not be good for now. See, God knows, man, I got something good for you, and it's going to be good for then, 
But, but it's not good for now. And, and listen, like I said, I experienced that. But now I'm really starting to understand that, um, being a father. Um, my daughters, there are things that are going to be really good for them one day. Like the fact they're going to be able to drive themselves and I'm not going to have to. I mean, they're only five and seven and I'm already tired of driving them around. But there's going to be things that are, that, are, that are good for them one day. But listen, it's not good um, for now. And one of those things that is still a thorn in my flesh, I talked about it the last time that I preached, but I'm going to talk about it again, is my oldest daughter, Olivia. She wants a phone. And she will not let it go. Um, at least it's no longer a daily conversation. Now it's a weekly uh, conversation. I actually came into the living room the other day, and she had my phone, and she's going, Siri, how old do you have to be to get your parents to buy you a phone? I'm like, I'm standing right here. You're seven. But see, one day it's going to be good for her to have a phone. It's going to be good for her. It's going to be great for me because I'm going to be able to do like what Pastor, Pastor Keith said last week and be like, hey, girl, on your way home, can you stop and get me some pickles, Mount Olive Brand, because that's my hometown. Thank you. And she'll be able to stop and give me pickles, I'm just saying. But one day, it's going to be good for her to have that phone. But here's what I know as her father. Right now, there are things that she could be exposed to on that phone that her soul cannot withstand. Because she's not had time to develop. She's not had time to grow. But, but even yet, she still wants that thing now. So the other day, we're driving to summer camp, from our house to summer camp. It is literally a one-minute drive. We get in the car. I turn the car on. I shut the door. She doesn't even have her seatbelt on yet. She goes, Daddy, can I get a phone? I go, Olivia, what was the answer yesterday? No, then that's the same answer today. No, you cannot get a phone. And then she starts doing this thing that she's been doing lately. She gets the puppy dog eyes, and she like gets the puppy dog friends. She's like, please, 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 please. She says it like a thousand times. I go, Olivia, if you say please one more time, I ain't never getting you a phone. I got a little bit dramatic. And so then she got dramatic back. She's like, if you don't get me a phone, I'm not going to be your friend. By this time, we are at school. I'm not making this up. This is real, y'all. Like, we are at school. Going to summer camp, and I turn around and say, Olivia, I'm like, you don't have to be your, my friend. I'm like, I'm always going to be your friend, but more importantly, I'm going to be your father, and one day it is going to be good for you to have that phone, but that day is not today. And she goes, okay, Daddy, what about tomorrow? I'm like, get out the car and go to camp. <laughs> Gosh. But, but so many times, what may be good for then is not good for now. And here's the thing about God. God is a friend. The Bible says that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But more than that, God is a father. He is our father, and he is the God of Revelation 22. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So he sees things that we don't see. He knows things that we do not know. That's who he is. He's the God, but also he is the creator God. He is the God that created time and space. So when the time is right and when the space is right, if he has promised it to you, he will get it to you because he is also the God of Isaiah 55, 11 that says, my word does not return to me void and it will bear fruit in your life. Listen, God, he's got the timing in his hands. The trusting is in ours. God, he, he is not bound by time. Time is bound by God. He can do whatever he wants when he wants to do it. So, so here's the thing. If you were in here this morning and you've ever felt like it is too late for me, I'm going to tell you something. Even when you feel like it is too late for you, even when you feel like that dream is past, even when you feel like that promise is past, even when you feel like the clock has stopped ticking, even when you feel like, man, it is too late for that relationship, even when you feel like it's too late for that job, even when you feel like it is too late, here's what I can tell you. There is no expiration date on the promises of God because God is God and he will do what he will do when he will do it. Man, even, even when it seems too late, man, the timing's in God's hands, the trusting is in ours. The second area we have to trust God in is this. We have to trust God's ways. Um, so Sarah, I mean, she begins to have this trust issue with God's timing and 
Here's the thing about it. She gets impatient. And here's the thing about impatience. Impatience is the thief of progress. So then she begins to question the process. She's like, man, man, God, I'm getting impatient. And so now I'm starting to question your ways. So maybe I should do it my way. And so she goes, Abram, man, you can take Hagar as your wife. And so Abram and Hagar, they knock sandals. Hagar gets pregnant. And then all of a sudden, y'all got that? Knock sandals because back then they didn't have boots. Y'all know what I'm talking about. She gets pregnant, and then all of a sudden the friction begins, and it's a friction that actually lives on even today. And so here's the thing, a little historical genealogical reference here. So Hagar, she eventually gives birth to a son. The son's name is Ishmael. Ishmael becomes the father of what is now known as the Arab nations. Fast forward 15 years when the promise is finally released, Sarah, she gives birth to a son. His name is Isaac. Isaac becomes the father of the Israeli nation which today. So here's the thing. All you have to do is turn on the TV and watch the news for more than five minutes, and you can see that there's a friction that still exists today. And here's how that friction started, because here's what happened. Sarai and Abram, they took it out of God's hands, and they took it into their own hands. They didn't trust God's ways. They trusted their own ways. And so, so many times we do the exact same thing. We, we take things out of God's hands and we put them into our own hands. God, your way is not working. I'm just going to try it my way. And here's the thing I was thinking about is it's really easy to do that because it's easy to trust what you can see. I mean, you can't see God's hands, but you can see yours. You can't see God's hands working, but you can see yours. So we start to question the process. But here, here's the thing about it, and I was thinking about it last night is that so many times in this process, it's easy for us to just be like, God, I need a miracle. God, I need for it to happen right now. And it's easy for us sometimes to even look at Jesus in the Bible and think that Jesus was just like this magician because he did miracles. But see, Jesus was also a man, and Jesus was a carpenter, and so Jesus, he built things with his hands, so he put things together in a specific way, in a specific order, in a specific time, and when the time was right, and when the way was right, all of a sudden, it was this amazing piece of furniture, this amazing thing, and you're like, wow, how did that even happen? Because the timing was trusted, because the ways were trusted. God is working in our life even when we cannot see it. And so what we have to realize is, is in all of this, is that Getting the right thing the wrong way is still the wrong thing. So we could try to get it all we want. We can go our own way and try to get everything we want. But if we get the right thing the wrong way, it is still the wrong thing. And so many times, though, we still become solution-oriented instead of submission-oriented. We're like, God, I'm going to focus on the solution instead of focusing on my submission in this moment. And when that happens, we create short-term solutions that cause long-term pain. Because, because our solutions are short-sighted. Our, solu our solutions are temporal, but God's solutions, they are eternal. Yeah. And if we're not careful, we will do things that cause long-term pain. And listen, I saw this a lot growing up in my life. I mean, my parents, like I said a, a few minutes ago, like they got divorced and it wreaked havoc on my family. But so many people in my family, I would see them come to church every Sunday. They would learn about the timing of God. They would learn about the ways of God. And then they would need healing or restoration in some area of their life. And instead of actually waiting for God to release that in their life and following God and following his ways, they decided to follow their ways. And they made short-term solutions to numb the pain that led to long-term pain, not only in their life, but in the lives of others around them. And here's the thing that we have to remember about this. No matter how self-centered our solution may be, it always affects other people. 
And so when we're in these moments and we're like, God, like, what do we need to do? We have to remember that what we do affects other people around us. And so for some of us, here's what we need to do. We need to start, stop following our ways and start following God's ways. We need to actually go, God, you know what? I took that thing out of your hands and I put it in my hands. And thus far, guess what? It has not worked. Here's what I can tell you this morning. Things that fell in our hands, they succeed in the hands of God. Things that will fail in our hands, they succeed in the hands of God. And, and there's a story that I, I think about in the Bible. Every time I think about this, and it's in Mark chapter 5, and if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this story. There's a story about this woman, and she's called the woman with the issue of blood. And she has been sick and had a condition and an issue for over 14 years. And if you actually read it, it says that she has gone from doctor to doctor, from person to person, and they had literally tried to figure everything out. And it actually says that it made her struggle, it caused her pain, and it actually got worse. 14 years trying to do things their own way, it got worse. But then all of a sudden, she had one moment with Jesus, one touch of Jesus, and then every single thing changed. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you have been trying to work everything out on your own, on your own timing, on your own way, all you need is one moment to realign yourself with Jesus. All you need to do is put that back in his hands, and I can promise you that he'll move in that. And so even when it seems hard, even when it seems like it's not going to work out, we have to trust him. We have to trust his ways. But here's the thing. You might be thinking, that's great, Josh, but how do I know what his ways are? I'm glad you asked. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Um, so here's the thing. This verse is written by King Solomon. If you don't know about Solomon, God said, Solomon, if you will pray for anything, I will give it to you. And so Solomon, he prayed for wisdom. And God said, hey, since you prayed for wisdom, I'm going to make you the wisest person that has ever lived and will ever live to come. And so Solomon, he's given us this wisdom about trusting God. And he says, I want you to trust God with all your heart. Here is how you do it. You do not lean on your own understanding. So this word in the original language, lean, you know what it means? Lean. I mean, it means to lean. It means to put weight on. That's what it means to do. So he's saying you cannot put weight on your own knowledge. You cannot put weight on your own understanding. Instead, here's what I want you to do. In all your ways, which means in everything, in all your ways, I want you to acknowledge him. He's talking about acknowledging God. And today, here's the kind of way we use the word acknowledge. It's like, hi, how are you? We think it's like this like far off thing. It's like we're like chin checking God. Like, what's up, God? We're, like, we're acknowledging him like that. But that's not what this word means in this original context. It means to actually know God. It means to intimately recognize his ways. So what if you started to, instead of leaning into your own ways, you started to lean into God? What if you started to, instead of leaning into your own words, to lean into God's words so you could start to see his way? What if you started to, instead of leaning into your own thoughts, to lean into God's thoughts? Why don't you lean into prayer, lean into his church, lean into community? Because when we lean into God, we will begin to recognize him in everything that we do because we will begin to know him intimately. So even when it seems like, man, we don't know what's going on. We don't know if God's moving. Our way seems better. We need to trust God's ways because the promise at the end of this is that he will make straight your paths. Because when you acknowledge his way, he's like, okay, I'm moving this here, I'm moving this here, and now I'm directing your path. you got to trust God's ways. The last thing is this, and the band come out. you got to trust God's grace. Um, Genesis 17, verses 1 through 6, says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, 
that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. So Genesis 16, Abram and Sarai. They do not trust God's timing. They do not trust God's ways. Friction starts to happen. Everything starts to unfold. But then all of a sudden, when Abram is 99 years old, it's 13 years later, Genesis chapter 17, God's grace shows up in this moment. And here's what I love about this story. When God shows up, he doesn't go, Abram, you didn't listen to me. Abram, you didn't trust my timing. Abram, you didn't trust my ways, so now I can't trust you. That's not what God does. Immediately when God gets there, he doesn't even talk about Abram. He talks about himself. He goes, hey, Abram, I need you to remember, I am God. I am God Almighty. So you may have screwed it all up, but I'm still God. He shows up, and then Abram, at this moment, he has a choice to make. Because here's what a lot of us do in these moments with God, is we just go, yeah, but I did mess up. Yeah, I I did do it wrong. Yeah, I, I didn't follow your timing. I didn't follow your ways. But Abram, he makes a choice not to lean on his own understanding. He makes a choice to literally lean into God. He falls on his face before God, and this is what God does. He starts to reaffirm the promise. He starts to reaffirm the covenant with Abram, and then he does something crazy. In verse 5, he actually changes his name, and this may seem, seem like something small to us, but it's truly significant because here's why. Abram's name before that moment, Abraham's name before that moment was Abram, okay? Abram means exalted father. And then when God changed his name to Abraham, it means father of many nations. It was an act of God's grace. It was a free gift from God because God chose in that moment, he chose in that moment to have grace on Abram to give him a new name even when he hadn't lived up to what his old name was. Because at that point, he wasn't the exalted father. But God came in and goes, you know what? My promise hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. I'm actually going to change your name. I'm going to change your name to Abraham, the father of many nations. He did that for him, and it was a gift of grace. I love it because God did not define Abraham by his past. He defined him by his future. He didn't label him by what he had done. He labeled him by what God was going to do through him. And it was a gift of grace, an act of grace. And here's what grace is, if you don't know. It is unmerited favor. To put it in short, it is when God does something good for you that you did not deserve. And so here's what that means for me and you. I mean, there's going to be times on this journey from here to there where we are going to miss it. There's going to be times where we, we miss God's timing. There's going to be times when we miss God's ways. But I'm so thankful on this journey from here to there that we can always trust God's grace. Because when God's grace shows up, everything else goes away. God's like, listen, I'm here, I am God, and you are not. You may have screwed it all up, but I am God, and I can make it right. I am the God of the impossible, so I am here in this moment, and I'm reaffirming the promise to you. Listen, God's view of you does not change. His promise for your life does not change. God does not label you by your past. He labels you by your future. Listen, even when we look at ourselves and we label ourselves by our past, even when the world may label us by what we did, God goes, no, 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 that's not who you are to me. Man, you are a child of God. Man, you may have felt like a failure, but you are a conqueror. 
Now, you may have messed up, but you are not a mess up. You may feel like that you've been counted out, but I can promise you that God, he counts you in. You may feel like you've been broken, but God, he sees you as whole. You may feel bound, but God, he sees you as free. And it is grace. There's nothing that we could work for it. There's no way we could earn it. There's nothing that we did to deserve it. It's not based on our performance. It is based on the perfect performance of Jesus Christ on the cross over 2,000 years ago. That's what it's based on, and it's grace. And here's the amazing thing about grace is that all we have to do is accept it. It was, it was done 2,000 years ago. It's up to us to accept it because grace on the journey from here to there helps us to not stay in our past. It helps us to move forward. It helps us to move towards what God is calling us to do and who God is calling us to be. And so this morning, I wanna give every single person in this room the opportunity to accept that grace with every head bowed, with every eye closed this morning. I mean, we've talked about grace and how there's nothing we could do to earn it, nothing we could do to work for it. Listen, God, he already did it all through Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. On that cross, he paid for the sins of the entire world, the past, the present, the future sins. He paid for them all. Man, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. The Bible makes that clear. There's no one who could live up to that standard but Jesus Christ. So he became the sacrifice on our behalf. And he had boldly proclaimed, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto God except through me. And the Bible says in Romans that all we have to do is believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross for us and that he rose again and then confess with our mouth that he is Lord and we are saved. That's all we have to do. The price has already been paid. The grace has already been given. All we have to do is accept it. And so if you're in here this morning, you know what? I say, I want to accept that grace. I want to accept God's grace. I want to accept Jesus. Maybe for the first time, or maybe you're in here and you go, I need God's grace in my life. I want to accept Jesus. I want to recommit my life to him for the first time in a long time. If you're in here and you say, you know what? I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to recommit my life to Christ. I want to ask that you would do something. It's really simple. No one else is looking. But I'm going to ask that you would lift your hand on the count of three if you want to commit or recommit your life to Christ. Ready? One, two, three. Raise them. Amen. Come on. Amen. 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 Come on, church. We can celebrate more than that, man. These are people. This is the lost being found. This is grace being extended. All right, come on. Let's say this prayer is a sign of faith together. Dear God, thank you for your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross and he rose again for me. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, church, can we celebrate all that God has done? Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Orlando or to get in touch with us, please visit celebrationorlando.org.